Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. The topics and opinions expressed in the following show are solely those of the hosts and their guests and not those of W4CY Radio, its employees, or Affiliates. We make no recommendations or endorsements for radio show programs, services, or products mentioned on air or on our web. No liability, explicit or implied, shall be extended to W4CY Radio or its employees or affiliates. Any questions or comments should be directed to those show hosts. Thank you for choosing W4CY Radio. What's working on purpose anyway? Each week, we ponder the answer to this question. People ache for meaning and purpose at work to contribute their talents passionately and know their lives really matter. They crave being part of an organization that inspires them and helps them grow into realizing their highest potential. Business can be such a force for good in the world, elevating humanity. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration to help usher in this world we all want, working on purpose. Now, here's your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. Welcome back to the Working a Purpose program. Thanks for tuning in again this week. Great to have you. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez, joining you live from Dallas, home base for me. If you've not met me yet and don't know my work, I'm a management consultant, organizational logotherapist, speaker, and author. My team and I help companies to articulate their purpose and build inspirational leaders and cultures activated by meeting and purpose to turn those companies from a flatline EKG to a vibrant workforce. There, people are intrinsically motivated to perform at their best in service of your mission, grow into their fuller potential, and want to stay. You can learn more about us and how we can work together at EliseCortez.com. Now, let's get into today's program. With us is Julia Fabris McBride. She's the Chief Leadership Development Officer at the Kansas Leadership Center, where more than 15,000 people around the world have attended programs since 2007. She's a certified coach, former actor, and a co-author of Teaching Leadership. Today, we are talking about the new book she co-authored with Ed O'Malley called When Everyone Leads, The Toughest Challenges Get Seen and Solved. She joins us today from Kansas, from Wichita, excuse me, from Wichita, Kansas. Julia, welcome to Working on Purpose. Thank you, Elise. I get so excited every time I hear that intro to your show and I hear you talk about what you do. We are so aligned in the things that we care about. We are. Thank you, Julia. I really appreciate that. And you know, it's it's wonderful to, to be part of a network and community around the world that are doing things to really try to lift people in their leadership, their communities and their organizations. And I'm re- very, very grateful to be in some ways a colleague with you. So very happy to hear that. Thank you. So as we said before we got on the air, um, I want to just we got to give a shout out to this beautiful thing you and Ed birthed. And as I always like to say, having been through both experiences, uh, what you did creating and putting this book into the world is harder than actually making and, and birthing an, a human baby. So kudos to you for that, my friend. Um, fantastic, terrific work. 
Thank you. And I actually hope that I have a 15-year-old son, so I hope that 15 years from now, it feels as worthwhile to have birthed this book as it seems to have birthed that baby. Oh, that's a great way to put it all together, Julie. I love that. I've got a 20-year-old daughter, and I'll hope the same for me. Yeah. Um, so we have to talk about where this book came from and who wrote it and what you two are actually up to. I think it's a delightful collision that has really produced something pretty magnificent. So tell us the, a bit of the story of where this came from. Yeah, Ed and I have worked together for 15 years. The Kansas Leadership Center was founded by a foundation, the Kansas Health Foundation, that saw that their dollars went further to improve the health of all Kansans. And we started out as a statewide organization. Mm. Their dollars went further when a community and the companies and organizations within that community had excellent leadership. So they invested a, a multi-million dollar investment over 10 years and then 10 years again to build the leadership capacity of a state. So Ed and I started working on this early on. Ed was the founder. I came on a couple of years later. And we have been developing a leadership curriculum from listening to Kansans and others who've tackled tough challenges. And we asked early on, when you're at your best, what are you doing? And out of that came a leadership curriculum that now we've tested and researched and honed over 15 years with hundreds of organizations and thousands and thousands of people. Mm. And as I said to you before we got on air, one of the things that I find really compelling about the two of you is that your backgrounds are, are vastly different from the traditional business background. I mean, you were an actress before. That's right. Ed was in was in was in politics and government. What? Yeah, Ed had been in the Kansas House of Representatives when he was recruited to to found the Kansas Health Foundation. I had been an actor in Chicago, focused on had trained at the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art. And when I came back to Chicago, my work got more and more engaged in how do you tell stories about people making impact? Yes. And then it was kind of a natural progression to want to become a coach, a leadership coach and a life and executive coach. And from there to start teaching leadership, which I did at the University of Chicago and a couple of other places before I got to Kansas. So I got to Kansas right about the time that the Kansas Leadership Center was being founded. And it was just, for me, a place where the mission of this organization so fit the my own passions and my own purpose that we were on. Well, I think part of your genius, part of your secret sauce is probably born from the fact that you don't have a traditional business background. Neither of you do. That's I right. really do believe that, you know, so often we what we hear in organizations when they're out recruiting and hiring people is they only want to bring in people who are been, who've been in their own industry. And I think that's a tremendous mistake. You don't get the benefit of a different perspective. What if we slightly cued our head just a little bit? What would that problem look like? And I think part that's part of the reason that you're you're there's genius in what you have created. And we're going to, let's you. go in. You're welcome. Let's go into, let's dive into this. So, so first I'd love for you to situate why leadership as a position, as you say, and leadership as authority is woefully outdated and why. Yeah. So what, How what we know is that 
leadership isn't position, authority, vision, charisma, being the boss. It could be like any one of those things could be useful in any given moment to move a challenge forward. But, but the days when one person or even a set of people at the top of an organization or a community can make real progress on a daunting challenge, they are, they are gone. Our communities and our companies are too diverse. Mm-hmm. Our challenges are too complex. We need everybody yeah. looking at the challenge and knowing that they have a piece a responsibility, an opportunity to move that challenge forward. And without all the different perspectives, all the different pieces of the puzzle, we can't make progress on the big things facing our companies and communities. Mm -hmm. Totally agree with that. And then if we take it one step further, you really have a very crisp, and I would say, you know, I've been doing this for a while. I read an awful lot of books on leadership to keep myself growing and catalyzing and, of course, share with my audience. But if you could say a little bit more about your actual definition of leadership then. Yeah, leadership is mobilizing people to make progress on their most important challenges. And we we talk about how it's rare, but the more people understand that that's what leadership is, that leadership is mobilizing people to close the gap before between where we are and where we want to be. The more of us understand that, the more we're going to see our piece in that puzzle. You know what I love about that definition is I, I love the agency in it. So the mobilizing. I don't think I have heard too many too many definitions of, of leadership really using the word mobilizing. You see a lot about vision. You know, influ, in, I talk a lot about inspirational leadership, which is of course yeah. very motivational. Mm-hmm. But that bit about mobilizing, I love that because it's agency, impact. It considers the need for people to want to be up to something and to make a difference. Yeah. And yeah, usually and I think it, to do so. it, it also includes the principle that leadership starts with me or starts with you, right. but must engage others. Right. Right. And I love what you say throughout the book is, you know, it's otherwise, if we don't, if we don't embrace this idea that everyone, everyone leads, it's too easy just to fault the big gal or the big guy mm-hmm. at the top. For you know the train falling off the track, so we didn't actually meet our goals, kind of thing. But when all of us lead, hey, we're in this together. Now it's suddenly our problem, our opportunity. Yeah, exactly. The worst, maybe the worst thing about thinking that leadership is a position is it lets me off the hook. Yes. If I'm not the one in the top job, then I can say, oh, I'll wait for the boss to figure it out. I'll wait for the governor to address this. Right. And not realizing or not. Uh, stepping up to say, yeah, I have a piece of this mess and I need to be part of the solution. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing that happens, right, we know all too well is if we do assume that backseat role, then when things don't actually go our way, it's really easy to complain about yeah. that the leader or whatever, whoever was supposedly in charge. Yeah. And, exactly. and that doesn't help anything that, you know, we're not getting anywhere with that. So, um, so then now, if we can, let's contrast. I, I'm I'm going to share bits of this if you don't hit the points, because there's just so many great things that you say in your book. Paint the picture for us of what an organization or a community, for that matter, looks like when everyone leads. What's that look like? Yeah, if, if first of all, if, if we embrace this principle that leadership is an activity, then anyone can lead and anyone can get better at it. If leadership is a practice, 
anyone can get better at it. And everyone can do their piece to move a challenge forward. So when everyone leads, challenges, making progress on challenges becomes more possible because mm -hmm. you have more people looking at the problem and you have more people bringing their creativity and their, their good questions. I mean, I think one of the things that my being an actor turned coach and Ed being a Kansas State representative turned CEO, that background, we were curious. Mm -hmm. We were curious about what kind of leadership does it take to make progress on our toughest challenges. And those first 10 years here at KLC were really about trying to, ex you know, even, even as we were starting to teach people, we were still exploring and we are still exploring. What is it that allows people to make more progress? And what we've really learned is when you get more people seeing it, being able to put the same challenge in the center and saying, okay, we're going to move forward together in the same direction, but we value that there are, there are going to be different approaches to moving this challenge forward. Mm -hmm. So when everyone leads frustration and gossip and office politics, they can lead, they can, they can transform into curiosity and engagement and a sense that we're accomplishing something. So solutions to big important challenges, say it's, it's a challenge of um, retaining, I mean, a big one for organizations we work with is talent retention. Yes. So Huge. instead of just frustration with HR, we share that challenge it it get the the responsibility for that challenge permeates the organization and we start to share creative approaches for moving forward so we feel more connected we feel more fulfilled we feel in, more engaged in our work and those those retention numbers start to look better and one other phrase that was coming to mind as you were saying all that julian and then i want to read a few things that you also said in the book cuz they're just so spot on but when 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 everybody leads like that, people mm -hmm. get to people get to know they matter. Yes. And what I've learned in my work is people desperately want to matter. Yeah. They want to be they want to be heard. They want to make a difference. They don't want to fly under the radar and hope nobody notices that they actually lived this life that they came to work that day. That, yeah, that, and I was talking with a credit union this morning where they really are embracing this this idea that we want a culture where everyone leads. Mm. And the, the CEO sees the value of helping people see the challenge. And there's a role for that CEO in, in lifting up, here's our big challenge. But there's a role then for everybody in moving the challenge forward. Absolutely. Yeah. So just a few other things, especially since I want you, listeners and viewers, I want you to listen to this because when the way that they distinguish these terms you know, for example, they, they talk about Julian and talk about in their book, when everyone leads, organizations are productive, not just busy. People are purposeful, not just going through the motions. Um, emotion gets channeled into teamwork. Um, what else here? When everyone leads, frustration, gossip, and office politics give way to engagement, productivity, and some sense of shared accomplishment, which Julie spoke to. So there's just some really magnificent ways you can start to imagine your organization completely different 
mm-hmm. turned on from the inside out with this stuff. So that's my my way I get so excited about it, Julia. Yeah, and as you say, the organization becomes successful mm-hmm. and the individual sees their part in that success. Mm-hmm. And people want to feel like they're part of something bigger that's important. Mm-hmm. I know that from my research. It's just beautiful. So um, to that end, one of the other things that I think you guys do beautifully in your book as well is you distinguish technical problems from adaptive challenges. Do that for us here, would you? Yeah, and that the, that is language that came from our mentors and friends, Ron Heifetz and Marty Linsky at the mm-hmm. Kennedy School and Cambridge Leadership Associates. Technical problems are easy to recognize because you know the steps to solve them. You may have gone to school to train to solve them. One of my favorite examples is somebody knows exactly how to design a highway interchange. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to do that. Somebody knows how. It's a technical problem. Complicated, yes, but it's been done before. You can check the boxes and get it done. Adaptive challenges, on the other hand, those are a different kind of challenge. They're, 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 they have people in them. They're not clearly defined. They look different every time. And we need, and, and anybody can play a part in diagnosing them. We just need to be curious, to ask good questions, to be willing to look at things from different perspectives. So progress on big, daunting, adaptive challenges takes time, Again, it takes curiosity. It takes the will to be in a place where you don't know the answers, and it takes patience. Mm-hmm. So mm. you see, as I talk about the distinction, that there's a lot of pressure in our companies to treat adaptive challenges like technical problems. So I was talking about retention. Easy to see that as a technical problem that somebody in HR should know how to deal with. But in today's, I mean, in today's employment market, in today's diverse communities where we're trying to attract and retain people who can meet our customers where they are, it's more than a technical challenge to hire and retain good people. It sure is. And we will talk more about this and how to be able to get to it here in just a second. Let's, let's grab our first break. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. We're on the air with Julia Fabers McBride, who's the co-author of When Everyone Leads, The Tough Challenges Get Seen and Solved. We've been talking a bit about where this book came from and some of the promise of it. After the break, we're going to get into, she's going to talk about how to find the gap between what we want and where we're going and set the stage to do so. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Dr. Elise Cortez is a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose, an inspirational speaker and author. She helps companies visioneer for greater purpose among stakeholders and develop purpose-inspired leadership and meaning-infused cultures that elevate fulfillment, performance, and commitment within the workforce. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at EliseCortez.com. Let's talk about how to get your employees working on purpose.
This is Working on Purpose with Dr. Elise Cortez. To reach our program today or to open a conversation with Elise, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us and welcome back. Before we get into the program, I want to invite you to check out the Purpose and Joy Tour. This is a collaboration between Joyly and Elise Cortez and Associates. And what we're doing is we're out to create a community of like-minded people and help them discover or rediscover their purpose in life and to find joy in their lives at work and across their world. So this tour includes activities, interactive experiences, seminars, presentations, etc. It starts um, tomorrow for me. March 22nd, it finishes, that's in Dallas, it finishes in Virginia Beach at the end of October. So if you go to gusto-now.com and you navigate to the Purpose and Joy Tour tab, you will see the cities in the schedule. You can look for your city and see what's going on there. I hope you'll join us. If you're just not joining the program, my guest is Julia Fabers McBride. She's the Chief Leadership Leader, excuse me, Chief Leadership Development Officer at the Kansas Leadership Center and the co-author of When Everyone Leads, The Toughest Challenges Get Seen and Solved, I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. So, all right, Julia. So one of the other great things that I think is so actual about your book is this whole idea of the gap, mm-hmm. right? So being able to find the gap and set the stage to do so. So would you situate that? I mean, there's so many things I could pull out of your book. So what I try to do in these these things, these, these conversations is curate and build on whatever else we might have discussed in any of the previous shows. And this is something that has not been nearly as clearly articulated in other books or conversations as you guys do it in your book. Please. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. So if you're thinking leadership is mobilizing people to make progress on tough challenges, leadership is mobilizing people to move from where they are now to where they want to be. So to help people identify what is the challenge and where do we want to be, we we have people start, actually start with where they're dissatisfied. So we would encourage companies, teams to talk about when we think about the future of our company, what concerns us the most? So that's one yes. question. And that's a great about, question, by the way. Yeah. It's a great question. And don't don't worry about building consensus. Just give people space to talk about concerns and dissatisfaction. Mm-hmm. But don't stop there because you also need for, for people to feel empowered and energized to exercise leadership, you need the fuel of big, bold aspirations. So move from the question about concerns to the question about aspirations. When you think about the future of our company, what's your boldest aspiration? And then let people talk about that. And then ask a third question. Ask, okay, what makes progress hard mm. in the gap between concerns and aspirations. And when you, when you ask that third question, people will start talking about some common barriers uh, like change involves loss mm-hmm. and loss of competence, loss of confidence, loss of the security of doing things the way I've always done it. So change involves loss. So that's a barrier when it comes to adaptive challenges. That's a barrier. And then you'll also, people will also start to talk about competing values. 
And, you know, if we prioritize moving towards those aspirations, what do we have to give up? What, what that we value do we have to give up? And they'll start talking about, well, people see this challenge differently. There's no clear, there's no clear solution because the problem looks different from different perspectives. Yes. And they'll always start to talk about how authority isn't enough. Mm-hmm. We can't get from concerns to aspirations just by waiting for the boss to lay out a plan. So we, so, so you get people talking. So this is how you lay out the gap, right? You talk about concerns, you talk about aspirations, and then you get people to talk and think about for us on our team, in our company, what makes progress so hard. Mm-hmm. And the beautiful thing, like you would think that talking about what makes it hard might cause people to kind of um, hang their heads and go home, but that's not what happens. We have had this conversation hundreds and thousands of times. And what happens when you actually acknowledge, okay, this is adaptive work. We've been trying to treat it like a technical challenge and no wonder we're stuck. Right. Start to see new ways to make progress. Mm. It's. I really thank you for that. That was a great. Now, our listeners and viewers, that's gold right there. If you just take nothing else from this conversation, what she just gave you is gold. But wait, there's more. Then the idea that you talk about an organization. Think of an organization you say as a skillet. <laughs> you got to regulate the the the. the you got to. You got to take the temperature and regulate the flame. I think that is so compelling. Yeah. And and you say that if the heat is too low around an important challenge, not enough people get engaged and understand the need for change, and we have work avoidance. So then on the other hand, talk about when we bring up the heat. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. When the challenge is too high, what happens? Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a child of the 60s and 70s, and my mom used to use a big skillet to pop popcorn. <laughs> and if you're popping remember popcorn that. and you don't turn on the flame or it's too low, that popcorn's never going to pop. But if you turn it up too high, it's going to burn and most of it is not going to pop. So you're looking for a sweet spot. You're looking for the spot where people can have tough, necessary conversations where they can really look at What's holding us back from achieving our aspiration or our goal where they can examine competing values and and stay present for the conversation, even when it's touching at at maybe their own sense of, am I valued here or Mm -hmm. will I be able to succeed in the new reality? So you need you need to help hold people in tough conversations or at least conversations where the future is unclear long enough to really 
see what your own barriers to progress are and to, to co-discover the way forward. Mm-hmm. And I like how you say the sweet spot is, is the productive zone of between the threshold of learning and the limit of tolerance. I think that is so compelling for people yeah, to really wrap yeah. their heads so around. In, I mean, in our model, popping popcorn, like the beautiful popping popcorn is when people are learning. Yes. They're discovering. Mm-hmm. They're finding new ways forward. They're finding connections. They're understanding what it's going to take to move through that gap. And, and yeah, the, the limit of tolerance is where it gets too hot, where, where, um, and, and sometimes I just need to go and check a few things off my list and do some technical work because all this talk about, um, the unknown or the new or the creative even gets like too much for somebody to bear. Mm -hmm. So that's the limit Mm -hmm. of tolerance. So if you're, you know, if you're curating, helping, trying to get the popcorn to pop in your team or in your company, you're really trying to build spaces and places where people can have those conversations, where they can get engaged, where they can see their part, where, where they can think about how they might contribute and where they don't get so stressed out about change and loss that that they that they check out. Yeah, and I think one of the things that you say in the book that's really, really important is you say that um, no one is unconditionally afraid of change. If the change is all good, we take it. Yes. If we resist change, that brings loss. I think that's really important because people always say people don't like change. They, they resist change. And then it, that's back to that whole, I guess I don't have to think about it because I can't do anything about it kind of stance. And I think that this really opens something. People are are not unconditionally afraid of change. That's not true. No, we're afraid we're afraid of loss, and we especially hate it when somebody tries to push through change without acknowledging our loss. Yes, yes. Oh, it's open so much. As somebody who has spent years earlier working in change management, yes, agreed. Um, <laughs> okay, now we have to get into this notion, which you already hinted at a couple of times, but we really have to address it because it's so powerful. Talk to us about the power and promise of getting people in an organization asking powerful questions. Yeah, I think this asking powerful questions, what makes that so powerful and promising is that anyone can ask an open-ended, curious question. And that goes from the person who started at the organization a week and a half ago to the person in the C-suite who's decided, okay, maybe maybe it's time to think about, you know, the norms and values of this organization. Anybody can ask an, an open-ended question to which they don't know the answer. Mm-hmm. And progress on our most important challenges requires those kinds of curious questions. Mm. Extremely well articulated, of course. Now we have to then go on to the notion of sequencing powerful questions. Mm-hmm. I thought this was also really powerful, Julie, in your book, that it's not it's not a one-size-fits-all powerful question here, but that we can use powerful questions differently at the beginning, the middle, and the end of, of conversations or meetings. So I thought it would be useful if we could 
gets you to talk a little bit about, you know, like what what are just a few convers a few questions that we might use at the beginning of a conversation or a project? What what do they sound like? Well, Elise, you and I know this from our work as coaches. When we when we sit down to work with an individual or a team, we want to know from them what would be a good outcome for this conversation. Absolutely. So you can do that at the start of a conversation or a meeting or a series of meetings to really get other people not only to, to own the outcome, but to contribute to the shared vision of what a good outcome for a conversation or a series of conversations would, would, would be. So that conversation, that, that I ask that so often, and that's a question, again, that when a meeting's going off track or somebody even is sensing that more could be got out of this, you know, this gathering of people, yeah. anybody can say, excuse me, can, can we ask what would be a good outcome for this conversation? And that's especially powerful at the start of a meeting or a conversation or a process. And then there's the other question that's um, the other kinds of questions that are really great to have happen at the beginning of a conversation are around purpose. Mm -hmm. What's important to you about this? What's our deeper purpose? And, and possibly also considering what would someone else who's not in this room think would be a good outcome for this? So mm -hmm. you know, what would our what would what would that team over there that thinks we're off on the wrong track? What would they want us to be discussing here? Mm -hmm. I think that just really opens up so much, Julia. So that's how we can open up a conversation or a project with powerful questions. Now let's get to the middle. What kinds of questions might we ask then? Yeah, I think in the middle we're always going to be wanting to ask about assumptions. Mm. What assumptions are we making? What assumptions do we need to test? What assumptions can we challenge? And I think it feels like the operative word there is, is we. We're in this together and we're testing our, our, our assumptions, our beliefs. So that's a big one. The other one is to really look at what are we hearing underneath the opinions that are being expressed. Yes. What, yes. Is, what new connections are we making? Maybe it's a question about what values are becoming, you know, what values are the music beneath the words and the opinions that we're hearing? And, and um, you know, along with what, what assumptions are we making to pause and say, huh, what are we not seeing? Yeah. Yeah, And that's, with that, like I always think about the person who's worked it, even here at KLC, the person who's worked here for six months, they can ask, what are we not seeing? They don't have to know the answer. They just have to be willing to ask it and pause. Yes, beautiful. And that can be okay. such a gift in a moment where a group oh. is spinning its wheels or might be just on the verge of treating something that is really adaptive and complex as a technical, let's just check off the boxes. 
Mm. And what I want to add to that, too, is giving that space and waiting for an answer. Don't jump in because what I know, and I know you do, too, there are some beautiful introverts there in that room, and they have something to say if you will only give them the space and the the opportunity to share it. Yes. Um, And oftentimes it's brilliant. Okay, so now we've been talking about opening a conversation in the middle. Then there's the end of a conversation or a project. What kind of questions can we ask there? Well, a big one that we ask a lot because leadership is mobilizing people to make progress on our toughest challenges. We're going to return to that. We're going to return to purpose with a little bit of of an adjustment. We're going to say, what will progress look like? Mm-hmm. after this meeting, in the next couple of weeks. Uh, and we're going to ask, how will we experiment? And when you're doing adaptive work, experimenting to learn is really the operative, it's the operating procedure as opposed to trying and failing or succeeding. We're, we're go, how will we experiment and what do we hope to learn? Sounds like a great place I'd like to work. <laughs> okay, let's grab our, our last break here. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. We've been on the air with Julia Fabris McBride, who's the co-author of When Everyone Leads, The Toughest Challenges Get Seen and Solved. We've been talking about some of the key points in the book that I think are really remarkable that are distinguished from other works that I've read. After the break, among other things, we're going to talk a little bit about how we can make leadership less risky for everyone else we want to be involved. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Dr. Elise Cortez is a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose, an inspirational speaker and author. She helps companies visioneer for greater purpose among stakeholders and develop purpose-inspired leadership and meaning-infused cultures that elevate fulfillment, performance, and commitment within the workforce. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at EliseCortez.com. Let's talk about how to get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Dr. Elise Cortez. To reach our program today or to open a conversation with Elise, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. I mentioned in the last break that we're launching the the Purpose and Joy Tour. Two of the books that are on that tour with events around them are my my two books that came out this month in March of 2023. One is called The Great Revitalization, How Activating Meaning and Purpose Can Radically Enliven Your Business. It helps leaders to learn how to build elevating and high-performing cultures and leadership around meaning and purpose. The other book is totally different. It's called Coloring Life, How Loss Invites Us to Live More Vibrant Lives. It helps people who are navigating loss to transform into growth and vitality. You can check them both out on Amazon as well for the time being. And then come check out the tour. If you're just joining us now, my guest is Julia Favors McBride. She's the Chief Leadership Development Officer at the Kansas Leadership Center and the co-author of When Everyone Leads, The Toughest Challenges Get Seen and Solved. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. So for this next bit here, Julia, I really like this idea, too, of helping and encouraging people to generate multiple interpretations. What's that like? Yeah, when you're doing adaptive work, there's no 
one way forward. Right. And you really need to diagnose your situation. And the key tool for doing that is interpretations. We make observations and then we try to explain what's going on, but don't stick with your first interpretation. Push mm. past that one to try to generate more interpretations that point to more difficult to execute action steps. And if you find yourself resisting an interpretation, because, I mean, for me, it's like, it gives, it makes me a little sick to my stomach because I know it's going to involve some loss, some discomfort, probably me having to work a little bit differently or have some conversations I don't want to have. Tougher interpretations are harder to stomach perhaps at first, but they often are the ones most likely to lead to lasting change. Mm-hmm. I like how you say in the book that you're probably on onto something if you're uncomfortable. That's right. Yeah. And, <laughs> and you're making interpretations not because you're going to adopt and do something about every one. You're saying one interpretation could be, another interpretation could be, a tougher interpretation could be, and then you're deciding what am I going to do? What do I need to learn? How am I going to experiment? Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of experiment, I th- this is such a, a wonderful thing to even float about because many organizations, this will be very foreign for a lot of organizations, the idea of experimenting. And wait, you want everyone in the, in the organization to do this? So, you know, we know it's risky already, but when what can we do? What, what, what can you do as a leader or a set of leaders or anyone in the organization to really help encourage to act experimentally? Yeah, I think going back to that conversation we had about the gap, I mean, first, you can host and, and encourage those kinds of conversations a lot so that people begin to develop a sense of where what are our bold aspirations and, and what are the challenges that we need to address if we're going to get there? And as a person with maybe significant authority in a company, you can lift up some of those challenges mm-hmm. and say, again, maybe like ret- if, we're, if we're in a college, student retention is big for us or um, innovation is the big one around here. So you can lift up what those challenges are. And then people are starting to experiment around the same purpose, the same challenge. And they're not just willy-nilly experimenting to learn what they want to learn. They're learn they're experimenting to learn and make progress on a shared challenge. You know, that kind of reminds me of Julie when you say this is I've certainly had a few people on the show that talk about really celebrating failure. Mm-hmm. You know, and, you know, or, you know, let's talk about, you know, how this one really fell off the tracks and celebrate why it was such an important thing to do. And that's so counterclockwise. So many organizations have they're they're run by fear. And we've talked about fear on this show many times, you know, the fear of failing, the fear of not being right. And so I this idea of acting experimentally for me has is really got so much possibility and promise to it. Yeah, it's not a failure if you know what your purpose was and you learned something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
Well, now here we are. We've we spent this time on the show so far, really talking about the idea of how to be able to create a place where everyone is involved in the activity of leadership. So now we need to talk about how to make that less risky for them. You give three things in the book. What are they? They are, and this is this is especially important for people who have some authority. First of all, don't just preach. Take more risks and take and make and act experimentally. Give people some skills. Teach them what it looks like to ask more powerful questions. Give them opportunity to practice making tougher interpretations, and give them teach them some leadership skills. Yes, many of which are covered in Ed's first book, Your Leadership Edge. That's kind of packed full of ways to experiment. Okay. So give people some ideas and give them some skills. So that's that's the first one. Don't just preach, teach. The second one is when somebody makes an effort, celebrate it. Even yes. if it's a little bit clunky, if they ask a question that makes people squirm and they ask it in a little bit of a rude way, perhaps, help them reframe it so people can hear it. Mm-hmm. So be there to celebrate and, and, and partner with somebody who's trying to exercise leadership. In other words, encourage it, right? Absolutely. You're encouraging it. You're that cheerleader on the sidelines. I'm with you. Let's do this. Yes. Yeah. And like, I saw it with the CEO where I, where I, at the credit union, where I spoke this morning, just, we want this culture. We need this culture. We need a culture where people treat leadership as an activity that's available, available to anyone, anytime. Mm -hmm. And, And yeah, so the third thing is normalize teaching, talking about leadership as an activity and normalize that it is risky. And, you know, your interventions, your experiments aren't always going to land in the way you wanted them to land. So normalize, talk about leadership as an activity and normalize that it's risky. And again, be there to, to coach somebody through Okay, is this too risky? Is you know, or is it worth it? Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. You know. In other words, you're really what I love about all of that, Julie, is you really are bringing up your organization one individual at a time. Mm-hmm. You're incur- You're teaching them. You're encouraging them to do that one person at a time, which I think is really beautiful. And they, you're also trying to help people learn to coach one another. Yes. I think if there's a fourth thing here about how to make leadership less risky for others, provide coaching skills and encourage people to be peer coaches. Mm So if I'm facing, you know, if I'm considering a challenge or want to think through some interpretations, I have peers all around me who can help me think through it, whether it's, you know, in a meeting or over lunch or on a walk, I'm not alone. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. So all that means, Julie, is since that's not currently listed in the books, number four, there has to be a version two, apparently, or addition two, apparently. So just so you know, yeah, <laughs> you thought you were done writing. You're not. I didn't think I was done writing and I'm really <laughs> glad about that. Okay, good. Me too. Um, okay. So at this point, listeners and viewers, I hope you're convinced at the the promise, the possibility of this idea of really creating an organization where everyone leads 
So if you could bring us home here, I've I want you, if you can, really paint the picture, the promise of a culture where everyone leads. You do it beautifully in the book. Would you share that vision? What does that look like and why it's important? So there may have been times in history, and maybe you can even remember a time in your company or in our country when just one or two people spurred progress on a given issue. But today's dynamics are different. The rate of change is too fast. The perspectives on problems are too diverse. So today, progress requires lots of people with the ability to adapt and the skill to mobilize other people. So the exercise of leadership is going to look different if you're the CEO versus the line manager or a frontline employee. But when it comes to our toughest challenges, we each have a piece of the puzzle. Mm, that's the place I want to work. Okay, so we've done it already, Julia. It, go, it goes by so fast, especially when we're having a good time. So you know this show is listened to by people around the world who really are out and want to be part of creating a workplace where people really want to come to work, give their best, realize their potential, and we do business that betters the world. What would you like to leave them with? I would love to leave them with the invitation to read this book, to use our discussion guides. We have discussion guides available at Kansas Leadership Center org under when everyone leads and and if you can get just a few people around you talking about these ideas you will i've seen it happen and you will release this agency and this self-authorization in yourself and others Thank you, Julia. Um, one other thing that I want to give a shout out about your book that I really like is the, the structure of it. Now you have each chapter at the end of each chapter, you have uh, like a, like a leader writing and saying, um, Hey, but I have this question or this issue, or this challenge, and then you address it. So it, you really are applying real time in real issues, your, the concepts in the book. And I think that's extremely useful. So to your point, it's really easy to engage with this content. People can chew on it and immediately bring it into the workplace. So listeners definitely get the book, and tell your friends. Julia, thank you so much for being a guest. I really have enjoyed reading your book, getting to know you, and I feel that uh, you're, I'm connected to you. You can run from me, but you can't hide from me. Yeah, I feel that too, Elise. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Listeners and viewers, if you, learn, if you want to learn more about Julia McBride, the work she and Ed O'Malley do and the, and the team at Kansas Leadership Center, or her books for that matter, you can start by visiting kansasleadershipcenter.org. Last week, if you missed the live show, you can always catch it via recorded podcast. We were on the air with David Noble and Carol Kaufman talking about their new book called Real-Time Leadership, Find Your Winning Moves When the Stakes Are High. This duo is incredibly talented and work with some of the top leaders in the world, so there's much to learn from them in our conversation and their book. Next week, we'll be on the air with Faisal Hoke talking about his book, Lift, Fostering the Leader in You Amid Revolutionary Global Change. And remember, work is an integral and important part of our lives and can be one of the best adventures and means of realizing our potential and making the impact we crave. So let's work on purpose. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune into Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Dr. Elise Cortez, each week on W4CY. Together, we'll create a world where business operates conscientiously, leadership inspires and passion performance, and employees are fulfilled in work that provides the meaning and purpose they crave. See you there. Let's work on purpose.